This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. And I'm Fry Green Andrew. <sighs> <laughs> uh-huh. I didn't have, it was toward the end of the growing season and I didn't have time to ripen on the vine. So I'm Fried Green Andrew. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Andrew, we've got company. <laughs> I don't know if no, I should No, this is just be... what I wanted. This is just what I wanted. This is perfect. Oh my God. Uh, also joining us, introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Megan Winch. I am a friend of the podcast. I'm the communications associate also. Woo! Yeah. Friend of the podcast, contractor of the podcast. Yeah. The first person who we've had on the show who we've been giving some money in exchange for services, <laughs> which I honestly didn't really think ahead to how that would affect the vibe, but you know, we're all here. We're all in it now. That's right. <laughs> yeah. see no, how we're good. <laughs> Um, and so on this week's episode, we're going to do the thing that we usually do, which is someone on this pod read a book and they're going to tell the rest of us about it. And then everyone at home or in their cars or on the train or wherever they are, they're going to listen along and they're going to have opinions or they're going to learn things or both. Um, <laughs> one or the other, yeah. <laughs> you, you must choose, uh, so Megan, you did us a solid and read a book uh to come on the show and talk about it this week what book did you read i read fried green tomatoes at the whistle stop cafe by fanny flag that's funny because i made that joke about being fried green andrew at the top of the show that is totally unrelated totally off the cuff i know i couldn't believe Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. yeah i just thought i was i would mix things up i was thinking about tomatoes i just went for it serendipitous (laughs) (laughs) We're recording a lot. We're recording six overdues in six days. Yeah. This week. Oh, that's a lot. And Craig seems really tired of me. And that's fine because the, after this, we aren't going to have to talk for like two months. So <laughs> you know, it's just, I feel like the, there's behind the scenes of, of Andrew being annoyed at how I do ads also. So there's, you know, we're having fun. There's, over yeah, here. there's ten, t- tension, longstanding mm. tension. Fruitful artistic tension hey yeah. like the beatles <laughs> like the, yeah like the beatles but we're not gonna take it too far oh i was saying fruitful like tomatoes i thought we were bringing it back around oh because tomatoes are a fruit, fruit. oh see megan's here <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna talk about the book and what's in it and yeah. uh how it reads and how it tastes because it's tomatoes and yeah. we're gonna talk about fanny flag and maybe we'll talk about the movie a little bit um, as well. Megan, like, what kind of books do you like? And is this one of the, those types? <laughs> oh. Or is this a stretch for you? No, that's a good question. Um, I am not trying to avoid the question. I mean it sincerely that I don't know that I have a type. Like, I have my favorites. 
but I'll kind of mm-hmm. read anything you put in front of me. Um, mm-hmm. Having said that, my favorites, you know, I'm a, I love Jane Austen a lot. I recently, like too recently, way past the zeitgeist, read the My Brilliant Friend Quartet and like devoured it. Um, oh, you too? Oh, sure. Us sure too, yeah. Us too. That's right. <laughs> I, read, I read that book like two months you ago. You sure did. You sure did. <laughs> you did a good job with it. Um, we got a very nice write-up from another podcast, like a, a roundup for, I think, I think Pocket Cast. Some podcast yeah. app did a book podcast write-up, and we were mentioned in it. And somebody burned us very lovingly by saying that we had read Elena Ferrante for the first time in 2022, <laughs> and that you would never find that on any other book podcast. Well, I'm here to so, tell you so that, there's that. Yeah. I read it for the first time in late 2021, so... Only mm-hmm. barely beat. But yeah, um, lately I've been really into books not dissimilar to this, although it mm-hmm. is dissimilar in some key ways that we will talk about. Um, but oh. in terms of like a like a people being nice to each other, which is a <laughs> genre I really want right now for, you know, world reasons probably. Many um, reasons, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. People being nice to each other and maybe it's a little gay, just a little tiny exactly. bit. Exactly. Yeah, that sounds great mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. Gut check. What did everyone know about this book before this podcast? I knew, I first heard of it, I'll go first. Okay. I first heard of it uh, after the movie Batman and Robin because Chris O'Donnell played Robin and then I heard <laughs> that he was in a movie called Fried Green Tomatoes and I was a little boy and I thought, isn't that a funny name for a movie? And then mm-hmm. later I learned... That it was a heartwarming story about female friendship with benefits. Uh, <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. But that's all I knew until I until I watched the the cinematic experience. Okay. I was aware of the movie as a thing that existed. I don't remember how or when, and that's that's it for me. <laughs> Great. So yeah. I feel like this is going to tell you a lot of what you need to know about me as a human being, probably. But uh, when I was like nineteen. Uh, what my friends and I thought would be a super dope thing to do on a Saturday night was like stone cold sober sit in my friend's parents' basement and watch Fried Green Tomatoes in like 2003. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just feel like, yeah, let's do this mm-hmm. on a Saturday night. So when you suggested this, I was like, oh, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> I had a great time watching this movie 20 years ago. Um, I bet the book is a little different. Let me read it. And I got like 20 or 30 pages in before I was like, okay, but where is Julia Roberts? And which one mm-hmm. of these people is Dolly Parton? And that's how I realized mm-hmm. that we had watched the other Southern Fried entrepreneurial female friendship movie, Steel Magnolias, in fact. <laughs> not for green tomatoes. So, so I don't know anything about it. So you, so I had to you reread the first like 20 pages everything. to like, remove them from my you, brain. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I had to start from scratch. Wonderful. Okay. Yep. Well, that's, so that's wor- worse than knowing nothing. <laughs> worse than knowing nothing. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I do feel like if I sat down to read this book now, uh, I would have a hard time pushing out the mental like playback of the performances of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you probably had a pure read having not probably. seen it. Or having. Yeah. 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 And I'm super interested to hear about the movie because I, from what I gather, there's some significant uh, changes. There's some different, yeah. What from what I read, like some of the more like subversive things or like commentary type things that the book is doing, just get like watered down or diluted in the movie. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, y'all will have to compare notes because I've read about both, but watched or read neither. <laughs> well, this is great. We've we've covered all. The only perspective we don't have is someone who has seen the movie and read the book. Right. Mm-hmm. But with our powers combined, <laughs> we represent three quarters of the possible states <laughs> yeah. of being <laughs> relative uh, to this work. Okay. Andrew, we uh, before we turn Megan loose on this episode, what do we need to know about Fanny Flag? Fanny Flagg uh, was born Patricia Neal in 1944. She's an actress and author, best known for frequent appearances on the 70s version of The Match Game, which is the only version of The Match Game in my book. Mm. Yeah. And she's also known for this book that she wrote. Uh, she was born in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, where she grew up. The Whistle Stop Cafe in the book is loosely based on uh, the Irondale Cafe, which is in a suburb near where she grew up that her aunt and her aunt's two friends owned and ran for like 40 years. Um, the Irondale Cafe is still open as far as I can tell. Its website says that it serves between 600 and 800 slices of fried green tomatoes a day. Whoa. Which That's a is lot. a lot. A separate wholly unrelated Whistle Stop Cafe made to resemble the movie set was opened in Juliet, Georgia in 1992 after the movie came out. Okay. But it has nothing to do with the the cafe that the book was based on. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do, I do like having two separate sort of meccas for book fans versus movie fans. Mm. Like which which tourist trap cafe do you try to go to to eat fried green tomatoes? Sure. It's up to you. Sure. So yeah, she uh, wrote her she she's she wrote her first stage play at the age of 10. She won a scholarship to an acting school after uh, participating in the Miss Alabama pageant. Um, and then she hosted a local like morning news show in Birmingham, but then left for New York City shortly after that when she could not get a raise. Um, when she started acting uh, is when she changed her name to Fanny Flagg because there was uh, somebody already named Patricia Neal in the Actors Union who was already pretty well known and she didn't want to be competing with that. <laughs> um, so as far as professional gigs, she was a staff writer and a performer on Candid Camera in the 60s. She acted a lot in the 60s and 70s, including uh, she was in the original Broadway production of The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. She was in Greece. She was on the new Dick Van Dyke show, which I have neither seen nor heard of. <laughs> um, and she had a minor role in the pilot of the Linda Carter Wonder Woman show. But um, yeah, she, she's all over the like. Just looking at her body of work, she's kind of all over TV and film through the uh, 70s, a little bit in the 60s, a little bit in the 80s, but she doesn't do a ton of performing after that. She's like, she hasn't, I don't think she's been in anything lately. Um, and then she sort of made the transition to, to being a writer, um, as she's acting. So, you know, she, she's doing a little bit of, of like comedy writing. Uh, her first novel was originally published as Coming Attractions, after the Fry Green Tomatoes movie came out in 1991, it was reprinted as Daisy Faye and the Miracle Man, which is how you will might know it now, <laughs> I guess. That was that's like um, semi-autobiographical, I think. Mm-hmm, I don't know much mm-hmm. more than that, other than yeah. it's you know it's a typical first book. And then she's written a bunch of books since then, like some cookbooks, some novels. Uh, the original Whistle Stop Cafe cookbook came out in 1993, <laughs> and then. Um, most recently, I think she published a sequel to this called The Wonder Boy of Whistle Stop, um, which, no, is not a whimsical kids book about <laughs> about a like, superhero boy. It's <laughs> about the Fry Green Tomatoes Cafe again. It was published in 2020. <laughs> yeah, she, she said that her journey to writing that was 
uh, like early lockdown, like need to thinking mm. about where like not being able to travel home and visit people and thinking about characters that she ha- had great fondness for and just like mm-hmm. what if I went what if we could go back yeah what yeah. if yeah and she she did a little work on the screenplay for the film that came out in 91 um so the the first person who had been hired to write it was named Carol Sobieski and she had conceived of it as a musical which obviously did not happen oh uh, so she, after the flag came in, wrote part of it after that happened. And then she left before it was done because she wasn't happy with how it was going. And then the director, uh, finished the script and got her sign off before, you know, making, making the movie. Yeah. John um, Avnit. Okay. John, John Avnit. And then as far as like modern adaptations, they were going to do a TV show. Um, like in 2020, Norman Lear and Reba McIntyre were attached to some fried green tomatoes TV project. But oh, yeah. in late 2021, uh, Reba McIntyre said that the show had been passed over and then, quote, it just kind of went away. So I don't think it's happening anymore. <laughs> okay. <but> Norman <laughs> Lear is 100 years old, like literally 100 yeah. years yeah, old. Yeah, he was, a, I mean, he, the, his company produced the, the film, so I'm not surprised to hear that he was involved in the TV show. But yeah, the I film, am a little bit. He was, <laughs> he was 98 years old. <laughs> I would be taking so many naps. Like. <laughs> You don't have to keep doing I mean, TV I guess schedule. De- I guess define involved, I suppose. Um, Fair enough. But yeah, the the film was pretty well received. You know, Tandy and not uh, Jessica Tandy um, got an Oscar nomination. The screenplay got an Oscar nomination. Um, it did win a, a Glad Award for uh, you know outstanding film or something. Even though I think, as we discussed it. Some elements of the character relationships were toned down for the screen. Um, and then, yeah, it had Mary Lu- a very young Mary Louise Parker, mm-hmm. um, Kathy Bates, Cicely Tyson, Mary Stewart Also, It made $120 million on an $11 million budget, which I bring up oh, only wow. to sort of mourn the loss of the medium-sized movie. Yeah. <laughs> Can I... I, th- I feel like I'm seeing this a lot on Twitter lately, as most mm-hmm. of us are dissatisfied with how um, like films that go right to streaming look sometimes because of the production mm-hmm. pipeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But man, it's just a great example of a 90s movie that's like doing its thing and just looks great because they shot on film and like, <laughs> you know, people who've been in the lighting and production design craft for generations clearly worked on it. It just and they're not on a sound stage ever that you can tell. It just feels like a real place. That's the thing about those nineties movies. And you know, the, what this reminds me of is the movie face off, which also is mostly practical effects yep. and shot on film. Mm-hmm. But like that, that nineties era of like late era, practical effects, like late era, like film before digital, like oof, yep. man, what, what a time to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Megan, what's your favorite nineties film? My favorite... Or a, a, a favorite 90s film. A favorite 90s film. First thought, best thought. First thought, best thought. And one. maybe it's because yeah. I just listened to your episode on this. I really love Con Air. It's a great movie. <laughs> I really do. And like my mom and I watched... Again, what is... I, I don't know what kind of movies I was watching as a young adult. But anyway, <laughs> my mom and I sat down and watched Con Air together. And ever since we... Every, and then we just look at each other and we go, you're Muhammad Bird. now are you sure that you watched con air and you didn't like watch the rock and get (laughs) you know what i should check 
Okay. I should check. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, all right. Well, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and hear about this book. Hey, everybody. It's Andrew again here to tell you about our sponsors this week. One of them, Squarespace. Squarespace is a website that helps you make websites. Maybe you have very specific culinary preferences that you want to tell the world about. Well, the best way to get the word out, it just might be a website. Squarespace has easy drag and drop tools, beautiful templates. They have 24-7 customer support, and you never need to touch any code. You never need to patch or upgrade anything ever. It's a great way to make a website, even if you have never made one before. Let me tell you about some of the features of Squarespace that we like here at Overdue. Email campaigns. You can grow and engage your audience with Squarespace email campaigns. Create powerful email content that matches your website with your existing products, blog posts, and your logo so your messaging is consistent and effective. You can support your cause by gathering contributions with PayPal, Apple Pay, Stripe, and Venmo. You can get powerful insights into who's visiting your site and how they're interacting with your content with in-depth website analytics tools, including page views, traffic sources, time on site, most read content, audience geography, and more. And you own all the content you put on Squarespace, so they offer one-click data portability, so if you ever do need to pack your bags and go, you can do that. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Again, that's squarespace.com slash overdue. Save 10% off your first purchase of a brand spanking new website or a brand spanking new domain. Overdue is also sponsored this week by BetterHelp. It's easy to focus on problems instead of solutions. Things like, why is my girlfriend trapped on a train car? And what does it mean for our romantic life? Uh, it can help to have someone to talk to about your problems. And that's why we like BetterHelp. A therapist can help you become a better problem solver, making it easier to accomplish your goals, no matter how big or small. People in my life have used BetterHelp to navigate their feelings about the pandemic or their jobs. Uh, I've used therapy to talk about relationships, to talk about the joys and the travails of parenthood, all kinds of things. There's not a lot that therapy can't help with. So if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. Get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey, and you can switch therapists at any time. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com Overdue today to get 10% off your your first month. That's better. H-E-L-P dot com slash overdue. So who here actually likes to eat fried green tomatoes? I've never had them before. Oh, they're oh. delicious. They're so oh. good. They're I mean, so I bet good. they're good. They're just like slices of tomato fried, like covered in cornmeal and fried, right? Like, yeah. what's not to lie? Yeah, there's something like tangy about them. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Really the good. only the only thing you gotta be careful of, and this is anything where there's a, a a cooked tomato in a dish, it can be like lava in there if you're not. Careful. Oh, for sure. Just you gotta be careful that the the juices aren't you know. Well, and and it's got it's it's complicated because you've got the the tendency of tomatoes to be lava inside, competing with the half-life of fried food which yeah. is like 15 minutes a, just about a narrow window here. So you gotta eat gotta eat it at the exact perfect time <laughs> so megan where yeah. should we start do you want to start with just oh let's crack that spine open and get in there do you want to so, set the stage somehow yeah uh you know let's let's choose your own adventure this a little bit 
Um, no, I was just going to ask, like, what is like just the basic format of the of the book? Okay, so the basic because I know I know it's got yeah like a time jumpy thing. Yeah. Like, tell 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 us about that, and then we can go from Great. there. Great. So the basic format of the book is there's at least three distinct sort of methods of delivery. So mm-hmm. there's the Weems Weekly, which is Dot Weems's like newsletter about the goings on and whistle stop. Um, it's not like a gossip rag so much. It's like people know what's going to go in the newsletter and then she delivers it. But it's things like a meteorite fell through the roof and hit someone's radio. Or, they, <laughs> wow. yeah, that's a real one. It's a banner day for the Dot Daily or it's whatever true. it's called. <laughs> and the Weems Weekly is how you get a lot of the, like... The Weems Weekly, yes. Yeah, the, like, yeah, <laughs> the, like, goings-on and whistle-stop, the sort of quirky characters and, oh, they did their Christmas pageant and... Oh, the cafe opens. So this is the first thing we get is actually that's not true. The first thing we get is an epigraph from the book, which I really dig. It's like, oh, do you want to know what the themes of this book are? Let me quote the book. Mm-hmm. Um, Wait. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where normally you would put, you know, like a Shakespeare quote or something here at the front of the book. Sure. It's I may be sitting here at the Rose Terrace nursing home, but in my mind, I'm over at the Whistle Stop Cafe having a plate of fried green tomatoes. Mrs. Cleo Threadgood, June 1986. Who's like one of the main characters of the book? Okay, mm-hmm. so I okay. kind of I dig that. It's like no, no, you, you're you're fine in this world. You don't need to look elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, um, its own shot a little bit. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, so the Weems Weekly is how we hear about the cafe opening, um, and so that's peppered throughout the book. And those are largely, though not entirely, chronological. Um, so they okay. start in 1929 when the cafe opens and then go through the 60s, I believe, when Whistle Stop has sort of wound down. Dot is moving out of town. Uh, and those are like mm-hmm. little like one pager. Here's the weird stuff happening in Whistle Stop right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you have the well, what at the time of the writing of the book was the modern timeline. So 1986, okay. where Mrs. So- Cleo Threadgood. <laughs> What's that? The very da- the now very dated timeline of the now very dated timeline, <laughs> which is gonna be important for things that we talk about about this book. Oh, Grace. Um, okay, I can't oh, yeah. wait. Oh yeah. Um, but what was at the time, present day, 1986, where Cleo Threadgood is in a nursing home in the Rose Terrace nursing home, and Evelyn, whose mother-in-law is also there, comes in uh, with her husband, and Evelyn is pretty miserable. She's an em- a new empty nester. She has sort of felt for a long time now, uh, she describes it as being at the bottom of the well and screaming and no one's hearing her. Um, mm-hmm. And so she's coming to visit her mother-in-law and she doesn't want to be there. Her mother-in-law sounds bad. And so she sort of goes to the lounge and ends up sitting next to Mrs. Cleo Threadgood, um, also known as Ninny, who just starts talking to her. Yeah. Um, like a real sit down on the park bench with Forrest absolutely, kind of thing, right? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. It's like a chapter ends and the next chapter picks up and it's like, it was an hour later and Ninny was still talking. Um, yeah? Yeah. I have no comment about any of it. <laughs> <laughs> so Ninny is just talking and she's telling Evelyn about Whistle Stop and about her time with the Threadgood family. Um and that will form will form like the bulk of the whistle stop thread of the book. Um, we keep coming back mm-hmm. to their weekly visits because now every time Evelyn comes mm-hmm. to see the mother in law, theoretically, what she's actually doing is sitting in the visitors' lounge with Ninny. 
So wait, is it is it a thing where you're like when you go to the back in time sections of the book, you are like listening to her talk or are you like is is the perspective also in in that like in does it, does the question make sense it like are, are you listening to someone tell a story or are you actually back in that time frame with whoever the um, yeah. with whoever the narrator it is? is believe it or not both and mm-hmm. Ooh, great great yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. So when you're in the 1986 timeline, mm-hmm. it is largely Nini relaying her memories. So Nini is talking, and there will be occasional like, Evelyn took another bite of her butterfinger. You know, so you're you're in Nini's voice, not in an omniscient <laughs> narrator. But mm-hmm. we're not traveling back in time in those sections. Okay. And then within okay. those sections... So you have, you have room for little, like, Princess Bride, like, questions exactly. about how the story exactly. is going. Which is okay, what sort of drives that, ver- that thread, is Evelyn mm-hmm. okay. coming back and being like, okay, but you also told me that Ruth did this thing. Tell me more about that. Mm-hmm. While she's hearing these stories, it's sort of helping to bring Evelyn back to life. So we also, in that timeline, get Evelyn on her own. Um thinking about her life, going to the grocery store, um, things like that. And as that timeline progresses, also with one exception chronologically, um, we get more Evelyn, less memory. Um, okay. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Are there, but there, so are there chapters that just are wholly contained in the past? There sure are. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's sort of the third narrative delivery method, is there are right. chapters that are more like, third person omniscient you're just in the past with a narrator who is in whatever head they need to be in um okay, and relaying great. that to you and that's often mm-hmm. used to like fill in gaps in other people's stories mm. okay so cleo will say not excuse me mrs cleo threadgood who is ninny ninny will say uh <laughs> and we never knew who did it and then you'll get a chapter where it's like and here's who did it <laughs> this is who did exactly it. Exactly. Okay. I like that. It's pretty, you know, it's pretty cool. I did have to like, I went full infinite jest and ended up doing like, (laughs) yeah, I ended up doing flags of different colors for what delivery method we're in and what year it is because Mm -hmm. the, the third person omniscient chapters are in no way chronological. (laughs) Okay. Occasionally you'll get a, a block that is, but they hop all over the place. So okay, yeah, and everything is like f- three pages tops. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of hopping around. For the most part, this it's just sounds like, like the, it sounds like the easiest thing to make a movie. <laughs> just so simple. Well, I mean, yeah. maybe maybe this is why like three people needed to be involved in, in adapting it for maybe. this. Do, do you get like? Does it play those switches back to you know the holy back in time perspectives as any like? Does it play as a joke ever? Like a it does you know, occasionally. A, a narrator voice tweet. Like very. <laughs> this was in fact who did it. Very yeah. occasionally it does. Yeah, there mm-hmm. is the narrator voice. The narrator voice doesn't have a ton of personality. I don't mean mm-hmm. that. I just mean it's it's almost like reportage, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. But it is constructed with a sense of humor, at times. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? That's I think that's what Andrew's asking about. Yeah. Like a robot built to laugh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what what character beats do we need to know about or like what the I feel like I have a sense of how the book is laid out. Yeah. Who do we need to 
No. Well, so this is where I let's do a little choose your own adventure because this book is a real okay. like okay. good news bad news situation. Mm-hmm. There's stuff mm-hmm. about it that's amazing, and there's stuff about mm-hmm. it that is hard to read for, oh. in 2022. I, I oh. was wondering if we if we'd get any of that, partly because of the the gay relationship at the center of it, and partly because we're talking about like something set in the south of the 80s. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I kind of. Can we talk about that quickly? Because it feels hard to talk about the stuff that's amazing without oh. talking about the stuff that is hard. Yeah, we, we can we can definitely caveat it up top. Yeah. Great. So the the gay relationship in the middle of it is the best thing about the book. Okay. It's so beautifully done. I'm going to talk about it at length. Um, that is uh, that is great to read in 2022. Because um, the thing that's so mm-hmm. charming about it is that, like, they're just two people in love. Nobody in the town cares. Mm. Nobody in their family mm-hmm. cares. It's it's like a non-issue. Um, the thing that's tough is that, you know, I I came into this book knowing it was a book written about 1930s Alabama in 1986. And, it, uh-huh. and not expecting, you know, enlightened race relations in this book. So I mm-hmm. came in with like a, mm-hmm. a level of preparedness for it. Mm-hmm. But it's really, really prominent throughout the book. Okay. It's not a mm. situation where like, Things are elided, and that's the problem. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> it, well, the thing that's and, and the reason I'm like stopping and starting here is because what is hard for me to read at this point is how much of it is on purpose, and she's like really trying a thing to sort of puncture mm-hmm. the folksy, fun, twinkly Southern mm. narrative. And how mm-hmm. much is she not aware of? How much is the book not aware of? Mm-hmm. So there are things that are like unequivocally, yes, obviously this is meant to be a thing that we don't feel good about. Yeah. And then there well, are... I think, I think in the 80s, it, there, there would definitely be moments of like, look how far we've come that, that she would want to intentionally yes. evoke. That definitely That's, is in there. That, that was yeah. my impression watching the film is that it... it, it um, Sort of like a driving Miss Daisy, like th- this era of yes, we are we are leaving this past behind. It was bad. Let's sh- let's maybe take some of the rose-colored glasses off and let's call some bad stuff what it was. And certainly things are better now. Mm-hmm. With and there and there's probably not much left to do to fix things now. Is kind of you know yeah that's that's the line right is like look how far we've come and and we don't have any further to go yeah. because we solved all the problems <laughs> yeah yeah there's some of that there's some of that in the eighties timeline there's also a lot of a lot of sort of challenging stuff in there as well that I think the mm-hmm. book is aware of so like Ninny okay. will okay. say something like. Oh, and they were all just so sweet, and they just loved us so much. And then it'll cut to a perspective chapter from one of the black characters, sort of mm-hmm. pushing back on oh, what okay. she's talking about. So I, sure. I think ultimately, and and this isn't for me to decide, but I think ultimately, the book is actively trying to to undo some of the things that even the main narrative is doing. Of this, like mm. everything was 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 rosy and great. Okay, I know I'm speaking haltingly. Um, it's because you know, I'm trying to speak carefully, find the right words. 
-hmm. But I am also trying to balance the book's time and its intent with its effect. Mm -hmm. But I don't I don't want to be more generous than the book deserves. You know what I mean? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yes, so, yeah. Yeah. So it's worth, I think, just speaking very plainly about what those effects are for a second. Mm -hmm. okay. So, okay. Particularly in the 30s timeline, there's just, there's a lot of racist behavior. There's many slurs used very freely. Um, Racism in the 1930s can in the American you believe South? It? What? I know. Oh my goodness. I okay. know. Um, <laughs> but it is, it was, it was free to a, to an extent that still shocked me. Yeah, um, yeah, in yeah. those timelines. Yeah. Well, because especially, I mean, I guess if you're trying to write in the in the 80s, 90s about that time period, and you didn't want to like sugarcoat it, you would probably use some of that language. Sure. But it's it's always hard to to divine what the intent is with that stuff sometimes. And that's so much of the thing with mm -hmm. with why I'm having sort of a hard time finding the words about this book is sure, because I sure, do sure. think the intent is to like undermine some of the romanticizing of this time but you're still engaging in the thing and so mm -hmm. does that help i don't know you know yeah. <laughs> um so also in that past timeline too we are i think i mentioned this we are sort of dropped into black characters perspectives mm -hmm. which you know again the intent feels like it's about broadening the story and making it more inclusive but in the practical effects of it Right. These are largely mm -hmm. characters who are here to serve and love white people. Not entirely, mm -hmm. but largely. Mm -hmm. um, and again, they are being written by a white lady in the 80s. So it okay. leads to a lot of stereotyping. Um, a lot of that sort of phonetically spelled out dialect or, I mean, uh -huh. what Fanny Flagg imagines the dialect would be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, anybody who's read that one chapter in Infinite Jest. Yep. Can, uh, yep. <laughs> that's how uncomfortable that can get pretty yep. quick. Um. Okay, but then also when you move to the 80s timeline, you don't get any black perspective uh, chapters. Mm -hmm. You just mm -hmm. get Ninny and Evelyn, who were two white women, talking and thinking a lot about black people. Mm -hmm. So that leads to its own set of stereotyping and othering. And in the mm -hmm. 80s timeline, it's a lot harder to sort of untangle what we're meant to buy into mm -hmm. and what we're meant to be skeptical about. Tangentially related to, there's a lot of sort of 80s brand trademark political incorrectness <laughs> about things like weight, about mm -hmm. bodies, a little bit about disability. And that too, it it feels to me like the book wants us to be skeptical of what it's presenting. Yeah. You know, depiction does mm -hmm. not necessarily equal endorsement, but it's still there and it's still yeah. really challenging to contend with. It's just, it's a lot. And yeah, and and I think when we when we run into books like this, and I think I I, I thought of Gone with the Wind the most because mm. it also is, you know, it's it's doing a lot of uh, the lost cause like yeah. mythologizing, but also it's just so like infuriatingly effective and well written yes. that you get like <laughs> mad about it a little yes. bit. So yeah, I, I I think we can acknowledge what is done well in the book and what people who like the book like about it yes. without like totally setting the other concerns like on a shelf and ignoring them yes, for that's, an hour. So yeah. Yeah. that That's exactly it. I just, I'm not mm -hmm. sure I've ever, I haven't read Gone with the Wind, but, but mm -hmm. yes, from what I know about it, that feels really apt. It, the, yeah. the difference between the stuff that is so effective and that I loved so much about this book mm -hmm. and the stuff that's really challenging. And also the difference between, 
you know, if you want to give this book a generous reading, which is mm-hmm. sort of my default in all media. Yeah. Okay. yeah, sure. If you want to give it a generous reading, it's it's trying something interesting and potentially admirable. It's just doing it in a way that I sure hope we wouldn't do today. <laughs> and that is, sure. it is really hard to get through today as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. This sounds like a lot of the caveats I would have about the film too. Like it's like it it is it is setting up a lot of like let's actually show what some stuff was, like let's really uncover what was back there in the past and use it to like I don't know, I guess the thing I would be interested Megan is as we talk more specifically about the characters in the film it really feels like this story about the past is being kind of funneled into one woman and how she will be a better person for having heard this story, mm-hmm. like a more powerful version of herself. Mm-hmm. And it kind of leaves behind any sort of project of like telling a larger story about the past. Maybe for good reason, I don't know. Um, but does this have a does this feel like it has a broad focus or a or a maybe more narrow character focus? Um the the thrust of it I would say is still that sort of funneling into Evelyn and okay. and how Evelyn becomes more herself throughout the book. But in mm-hmm. the past, um, we spend quite a bit of time in the perspective of the PV family, um, who, uh, I, the Cicely Tyson character, I think, in the movie. Sitsi. Yeah, okay. It's uh-huh. her family. So her son, her daughter-in-law, and then their four children. Sure. Um and particularly in the perspective of one of them named Artis. Is Artis in the movie? Maybe? See, I don't know. Very I much in the I'm book. Gonna, I'm going to hit I am. And this is where I don't think that he is. Tomatoes. I don't think that he is. So, Artis Cuz I would probably have remembered him. Yeah. How do you spell Artis? A R T I S. Okay. Do not see him yeah. on the dramatis personae on the IMDb, but So we get a lot of time in his perspective. Um, and this is where some of the like, how much do you, how much does the book know it's doing, and how much does the book not know it's doing? Artis and Jasper sure. are twins, uh, and there's a lot made of the fact that Jasper is light skinned and Artis is dark skinned, and that that's mm-hmm. a problem. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of like a Cain and Abel setup where the where the Cain is the one with darker skin, um, mm-hmm. which is troubling. But as the book goes on, it's sort of we keep returning to his perspective to see the way that he's like continually set up to fail. So mm-hmm. he tries to keep uh, the dog catchers from taking uh, his friend's dog away at one point. And all Ninny knows is that he went to jail for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And then the narrator puts us into that scene for why he went to jail. And the reason he went to jail is because he pulled out his switchblade and cut the rope that was holding the dog to the dog catcher and then was sent to jail mm-hmm. for okay. attempted murder. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So those kinds of stories are threaded throughout the book yeah. um, in a way that that is trying to sort of be a little bit more kaleidoscopic um, and not just okay. like. Okay. Yeah. That, that is something that I think is sacrificed in service of a, of a tight, you know, two hour ten movie that mm-hmm. is like that, that, uh, you know, myriad of perspectives is, is flattened 
Uh, well, because because what the the what little I know about the movie is not like oh it has a lot of interesting stuff to say about race relations. Like what I know about the movie is it's about like sisterhood in the South. Well, and the basically. KKK is there, and they're yeah. you know they do bad things, but yeah, it is in service of a, a murder mystery uh, that centers on the sisters more mm-hmm. than anyone else. Okay, until it's not. Until it's not. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so we get a lot of time in that perspective, in the PV perspective. Okay. Um, and then we get a lot of time in Ninny and Evelyn. Um, but really the heart of the book is Iggy and Ruth. Iggy and Ruth. Iggy and Ruth. So Iggy is the youngest of the Threadgood family, um, which is sort of this like big brood of kids. There's eight or nine of them um, in Whistlestop. And Ninny uh, moves in with them when she's a young kid, like four or five. And so she's sort of raised mm-hmm. alongside them. She ends up marrying one of the brothers. Um, and so we get a lot of these, like, fun scenes of, you know, the big, loud, talking around the table family. Um, Mama and Papa are really supportive and, and cued into their kids. Um, but the one we get the most time with is Iggy, who's the youngest. Um, she's this, like, firecracker tomboy. Um she, you know, puts poker chips in the in the collection plate, and she sends what a scam! <laughs> what a scam! She's such a scam. She sends uh, anybody. God ask- could go cash those in. I bet. It's like, could true. could you give God money that was so fake that he himself couldn't exchange it for real currency <laughs> if he wanted to? <laughs> That's my question. It's a great question. Could God could God deal himself a hand so bad he couldn't win? Ooh. Oh. Ooh. That's a thinker. That is a thinker. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harper Lee said of Iggy that uh, she was just like this wholly original character uh, that was so impressive that Huck, Huck Finn would have tried to marry her. Yeah. Is like the kind of energy that she has. It's exactly right. That's exactly her vibe. Um, Doesn't that kind of ignore some other stuff we know about the character, though? Well, sure yeah. does. <laughs> sure Listen, does. I guess he. he <laughs> I don't know he when can, that quote came from. <laughs> he could. He could try to marry her, but he would. Yeah, try being operative here. Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah. yeah. Um. So Iggy has an older brother named Buddy, who she adores, um, and who adores her. And when she is a young teen, he is uh, hit by a train and killed. Um, and it sort of sends her, you know, for a loop. She runs away for a bit. Um. But then the thing that sort of brings her back is the arrival of Ruth Jameson. Um, Ruth is uh, from Georgia. She's coming for the summer to help out at church. And Iggy and Ruth just, like, immediately fall in stupid love. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very, very sweet. Um, Iggy is about 15 or 16 at this point. Ruth is about 20. Uh. And it's just like I said before, it's just it's not a thing. Um, at one point, um, Mama says to Ruth, could you ask Iggy if she would just like come to dinner, please, for once? Because she's usually just out running around and whatever. Mm-hmm. And she does. And she comes back and she says she'll be right in. She's going to wash up. And Mama turns to the table and she's like, now your sister has a crush and I want all of you to shut up about it. Don't you dare <laughs> laugh at her. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just it's always part of the fabric of these two. Um, one day, uh, Iggy takes Ruth on a picnic 
Um, and this is sort of like a, the, the big fulcrum of their relationship. Um, she takes Ruth on a picnic and she says, okay, I have a surprise for you. And she takes a mason jar and takes her further into the woods and goes to a tree. And she says, no, you stay right there and you don't say anything. You stay still. And she goes to a tree and she sticks her hand with the jar into the tree. And then all of the bees out of the tree come out. All of them. Oh, and no. they cover her like head to toe, just in bees. Oh, no. Yeah. Bees. Bees. <laughs> Everywhere. It's... <laughs> As as the resident uh, film connoisseur of this of this episode, that scene's incredible. Yeah, she's. It's like it's in this big field. There's this. There's a huge gap between the safe tree where Ruth is and the danger tree that clearly is full of bees uh-huh. from yards uh-huh. away. <laughs> and uh, Iggy just goes over to it and sticks her whole hand in and pulls the honeycomb out. Yep. Mm. And walks across a whole field yep. covered in bees. Apparently, they were supposed to have a stunt double do it, and like the stunt double chickened out or something. Oh wow! So Mary Stuart Masterson just did it herself. <laughs> Whoa! That's a very itchy just, move. All those bees would be CG today, is what I'm Absolutely saying. Absolutely, they would. Yeah, they would be effect. CG bees, BGI, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> I will. I will. And you would and you would look at that scene and you'd be like, oh, that I guess that looks okay. Yeah, Megan, can I ask a clarifying question about their relationship? Yeah. Um, in the f- and this is I, th- I'm trying not to hit it too hard, but I do think it's going to be how a lot of people come to this book. So like, did Ruth know Buddy at all? No, Ruth did book? not know Buddy. Wow, it's like a cornerstone of her whole thing in the film. Oh, okay. really? <laughs> okay. Oh no. Well, no. yeah. When he when he dies early in the movie. Um, he and Ruth are kind of sweet on each other, and they're hanging out with a young Iggy. Oh, and then no. Ruth's Ruth's hat uh falls down on the train tracks, and then his boot gets stuck. Oh no, uh, no, he's what? just like flirting oh, with boy. some girls from town. Oh, <laughs> and he backs oh, up onto the train tracks. Oh yeah, no, she comes a couple years after he dies. In the so, book, yeah. So when she comes back, like there's they they it gives them this like really powerful connection that never feels like Iggy actually f- really blames her, but they, b- they share a, a grief oh. that then becomes like the bedrock. I think that takes away what the book probably just has as an attraction. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's um, explicitly set up as like the thing that helps Iggy come back to herself from her grief. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Sure. Huh. Okay. Yeah. So she brings her this honey and uh, she's, oh, I just, I love this quote and I want to read it. Um, okay. She smiled back at her and looked up into the clear blue sky that was reflected in her eyes. And she was as happy as anyone who is in love in summertime can be. Like, that's just what that mm. whole section feels like. And so that mm, is when nice. Ruth is like, oh no, I also love you. And that is a problem because I'm engaged mm-hmm. and I made a promise and I got to keep my promise. Mm-hmm. So she goes back to Georgia. Um, Iggy breaks all the windows in her room uh, in rage. Um, and then for four years, they don't see each other. That's not true. For four years, Ruth doesn't see Iggy, but Iggy makes like <laughs> weekly trips to Georgia to just sort of like hang out and like keep tabs. And Creeping. Oh, that's that's Creeping. cute. It's, yeah. That's cute stuff. Yeah. There's no, mm, that's, 
ador adorkable. Totally adorkable. She she parks outside the <laughs> wedding and like leans on the horn when she's pretty sure they're saying I do. Um, mm-hmm. I love you like a Pinkerton baby. <laughs> <laughs> follow you around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, somewhere about halfway. Hey girl, are you are you a lemming? Because I am too, and I would follow you anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know. How appropriate what you just said is, actually. Oh, no. <laughs> you don't know. So okay. halfway through, uh, uh, Iggy shows up on Ruth's porch and it's just like, just a heads up. I still love you a lot. You said I would grow out of mm-hmm. it. I have not grown out of it. I'm just letting you know. See mm-hmm. you later. Uh, it turns out that Frank, who Ruth married, is a capital M monster. He's the like one of the only honest to goodness bad guys in the book. There's not a lot of them, yeah. and he is one of them. Um, and on one of her reconnaissance trips, Itchy finds out, and very crucially for the murder mystery, bursts into the barbershop where nobody knows who she is, and it's just like, I am going to murder you if you touch her one more time. Because um, he's been abusive to Ruth. Uh <laughs> And everybody in the barbershop hears it, which is crucial. Shortly thereafter, Ruth's mother dies, and on her deathbed is like, you have to get you have to get away from him. I've never said anything before, because you don't mess with people's marriages, but you have to get away from him. And so what Ruth does is she rips a page out of the Bible, and it is this one, Andrew, about following. Mm-hmm. It's from the book of Ruth, mm-hmm. and it says, mm-hmm. And Ruth oh. said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and that my God shall be thy God shall be my God. So mm-hmm. she will, in fact, follow her anywhere. Um, okay. So she opens this, and she's like, "Mama, what does this mean?" And Mama's like, "You know exactly what it means, and you have to go get her because you're not going to like be livable with us until you do. So please go get her." And the mm-hmm. next day they do. It's a not not entire. It sounds like not entirely altruistic on the part on the part of no, mom. She's like, like, please, you have you have been a gigantic pain. Yeah. You've been miserable to live with. Please, please go handle go. this. Yeah. I beg of you. So she does. She and Big George, uh, who is Sipsy's son, who also will eventually be the person who does the barbecue at the cafe, uh, and oh. a few of Iggy's brothers go and get Ruth. Um, it is important that Big George is there and that he's coring an apple with a knife. Uh, that will be important for the murder mystery. And they bring Ruth home. That's very. That's a very threatening move, is to be like peeling an orange with it's a true. knife or doing. Yeah, just to do be like casually like, whittle, whittling a stick with a knife, like any any casual knife exactly. play. Exactly, it's very is threatening. Foreshadowing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so they bring Ruth home, and and Ruth basically sits down, Mama and Papa, and is like, "I shouldn't have left her before. I'm never going to leave her again." And they say, "Great, welcome to the family." Uh, they find out shortly thereafter that Ruth is pregnant, and. Uh, the baby takes the Threadgood last name and Papa gives uh, Iggy $500 to be like, you have a family to take care of now. And that's how she buys the cafe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's like a big, that's like the big heart of the book is this, cool. this burgeoning mm-hmm. relationship that then for the next 18 years just sort of chugs along. Um, and in the Weems Weekly, it's always, you know, like, Iggy and Ruth took their boy to uh, the park and brought all the other kids with them, and everybody had a great time. I love this newspaper. Yeah, it's great. It's a good newspaper. It's it's it is interesting to me that even the the local town gossip rag is like, oh hey, this couple went yeah. somewhere and they did a couple things, and not like 
Man, Iggy and her roommate Ruth really (laughs) do seem to go everywhere together and do everything together. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just a it's just a fact of this world um, in a really lovely way. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's sort of the heart of them. They have uh, Ruth has a son um, that they raise together. Uh, And I think we pause on that storyline for now. Yeah, mm-hmm. we've we've kind of we've talked about who we talked about a murder mystery yeah. based on the list of characters we've talked about. You might guess who's involved. You might guess in, who ends up dead in a murder. Yeah. So. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. What you want to move on to Evelyn? And yeah, Ninny? I was gonna say so. Yeah. So Evelyn and Ninny. Um, Ninny is insistent that she's only in this nursing home until her friend Mrs. Otis gets settled in. Um. And, but she doesn't seem to have any visitors. She doesn't seem to have anybody else with her. Um, so she and Evelyn form this friendship, um, really reluctantly on Evelyn's part at first. She sort of just wants to be sitting quietly somewhere. Um, but Ninny, Ninny's gonna talk, and so Ninny keeps talking. <laughs> and eventually, it sort of wears down Evelyn's defenses and gives her something to. Uh, I don't want to say to disassociate with, but it's a little bit of disassociating with. When she's feeling mm-hmm. really sad, when she's feeling really angry, she can think about Whistle Stop and she can think about Iggy and and feel happy and feel like, oh, another life is possible. Um, mm-hmm. She's got this situation at the grocery store where some kid um, pushes past her. And she's like, oh, excuse me. And he turns around and he calls her a nasty name. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, what I should do is is I should wait outside and tell him that I, I didn't mean anything by it and he doesn't have to be mad at me because she never wants anybody to be mm-hmm. mad at her. Mm-hmm. And so she does that. Same. Same. <laughs> yeah, very relatable. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and she does that and he like calls her another nasty name and pushes her down. And she thinks to herself, like, if Iggy was here, she wouldn't have let that happen to me. Mm-hmm. So it becomes this sort of like talisman for her of like where she can pour mm. a lot of these feelings and it starts waking her up and bringing her back to herself. She's got this unfulfilling marriage. She tried wrapping herself in saran wrap to entice her husband, and it didn't work. That's a yeah, yeah. It's like a what if you what if what if hubby came home and I was just wrapped in plastic wrap, right? To preserve my freshness, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's helpful because plastic wrap is clear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. I mean, I was more, yeah, it's, well, because then, even if, even if, let, let's, let's set aside personal preference. Let's, let's just take for granted that this is a sexy thing that yeah. somebody would find very sexual because you can see all the parts yeah. under the saran wrap. I can't think of anything less sexy than having to unwrap somebody out of a bunch of saran wrap. Like, I think that would, I think that would kill the mood, even if it had been established in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. It's like getting stuck to yeah. your You guys are taking it off. And... It's good. And it's going to get stuck to itself. Yeah. 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 No, it's just, I'm going to wrap myself up in tinfoil. I'm a sexy baked potato. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. She takes it real personally, but it's like, it's the saran wrap's fault. Evelyn, it's not you. It's the, mm-hmm. it's the cling wrap. It's also her husband's fault. Her husband's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, her he's husband. He's lame, right? He's lame. He's the, just a lame He really is. He's he's largely absent in the books, which is the problem mm-hmm. that they just like have mm-hmm. no relationship whatsoever to speak of. Um, but he he's like it's not that he's a monster; mm-mm. it's that he's the guy in like a while you were sleeping type movie that we have to feel okay about the protagonist leaving for the more handsome dynamic other guy. Oh yeah, if there were one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. right. Yeah. But so she moves first through anger. Um, she creates a, a like an alternate persona called Tawanda, who mm-hmm. is just like an avenging vigilante. She kicks the Pope <laughs> out of Rome and puts a nun in this seat. She like <laughs> she's stomping on muggers. She's like she's out in the streets. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. What did those they I mean they can't use magic though. Like what did what oh, did they do to her other than that? <laughs> oh, that one that one took a little that was a little that time bomb. That, that, <laughs> that took me a second. That took me a second. That took me a real second. not fair to them. Yeah. Is the parking lot scene in the book, Megan? Yes. Is the with the car? Yeah, so and the stuff. This is in okay. the same section. Yeah. Um, so she, uh, is in the parking lot. She's waiting for a spot. The guy finally pulls out and then this car of young girls like whips in and steals her spot. That makes me mad. Right? Yeah. I'm mad. And, but I'm not like working through my, my rage problems with an alter ego. Uh, she is. So she waits there until the girls come back, just sits there and waits. And then she rams into their car six times. Uh, and when That's the a lot of it's times. a lot of times, and when the girls had gone into the store, she shouted like, "That was my spot!" And they said, "Well, I'm younger and faster than you are, so." And so she rams their car six times, and then goes, "Hey, I'm older and I have better insurance than you do." <laughs> yes, yeah, pretty good. Sick. It's yeah. pretty good. Kathy Bates should have gotten an Oscar for that scene. Yeah. So what? yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Jessica Tandy's great and all, but like that's Kathy Bates. Yeah. Come on. So she moves through that phase, but then the longer she continues talking to Nini and building this really lovely relationship um, between these two women who both kind of have no one, um, she's able to let go of that as well and start moving into just a person who can find more fulfillment. Um, Mm -hmm. She starts selling Mary Kay at Nini's insistence. Um, She... Uh, is able to yell, get your own beer at her husband. Um, she just <laughs> finds ways, which is like a huge thing for her. Um, she just, she finds ways to just sort of assert control over her life and and make mm-hmm. herself happy. Um, cool. Yeah, largely through this this relationship that she has built with Nini. All right. Um. Eventually, she tells Nini that she has a surprise for her, but she has to go away for a while to get it. What the surprise is, is that she's going to like a wellness spa, uh, mm-hmm. which is really a place where she's going to lose weight. Because um, mm-hmm. that's a thing she's been worried about the whole book, even though Nini keeps telling her, you're beautiful, I don't know what your problem is. Mm-hmm. Um, and while she's there, Nini passes away. Ugh, uh, of course. Yep. So she comes home. Uh, and she finds that Ninny has left her some stuff in Whistle Stop. Um, 
so she goes to Whistle Stop and she goes to see all the sites that have sort of like gotten her through this time. Um, she's left with a bunch of pictures that Ninny left her. Um, and it's this really meaningful trip for her. Uh, and I will pause there for a second on that one because that leads us straight to the end of the book. Okay. Yeah. Cause we are, we are pushing up on an okay. hour ish. It's, um, yeah. Craig, I don't know if you just want to like time code some like table talk. But, yeah. No, that's fine. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. I think we want to, we can. So like, what do we, what do we need to, to hit? Yeah. Let's hit the murder mystery. Have, like a sum up convo. Yeah. Great. Okay. Um, I was going to ask if, if what she left her was a box with some old green tomatoes in it, but <laughs> there are no green tomatoes in the Don't box. Don't be Craig. That's silly. Don't be Actually, silly. there are some okay. recipes. So in a way, you just take something seriously for once in your life. <laughs> Stop being such a silly Billy. Okay. <laughs> okay. Andrew. Sure. <laughs> Megan, tell us about this murder. Yeah. Most foul murder. Most foul. <laughs> um, so, so Frank shows up. He comes back to get. Well, first he shows up with uh, the members of the KKK to sort of threaten the cafe, and they can tell it's him from his mm. shoes. But mm. he he gets driven off, and then the, the book says the next time he came back, he came back alone. Um, and then we hear throughout these like I never believed it was Iggy that killed that man throughout the book, and then at the halfway mark, Ninny's like it was Frank who was dead, and you're like yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good because mm-hmm. <laughs> he's a monster. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the rest of the – it sort of goes away for a while, but then the, it keeps getting peppered in like very, very sort of knives out. It could have been that guy. could have been that girl. could have been Ruth. could have been Smokey, this this uh, uh, guy who rides the rails who hangs out at the cafe a lot. Um, okay. Uh, what you a old- bear who tries to prevent forest fires. <laughs> Um, ultimately what you find out is that he came back to, to take the baby. Um, so he waits for a time when Ruth and Iggy are out of the cafe and he goes into the cafe and he tries to, to kidnap his baby back. Um, ribs, baby back, baby back. (laughs) He wants him. He wants him. Uh, barbecue, barbecue features heavily in the story. And and very much so in this murder. Um, Mm -hmm. Is that what the is that what the ribs are named after? This guy who wanted his baby back. Little known fact, but he also um, wanted ribs. Um, um. <laughs> kind of. So mm-hmm. so okay. Sipsy uh, hits him over the head with a five pound skillet and kills mm-hmm. him dead. That's a heavy. That's skillet. a heavy skillet. Damn. Whoa! And the book is like he underestimated this little lady, but she's been handling these skillets <laughs> since she was eleven, and mm-hmm. smacked him over the head with it and killed him dead. Yeah, wow. Uh, the forearms on, on somebody who handles a five-pound yep. skillet. Yep. Gee whiz. Yep. Then uh, she sends Artis, who's her little grandson, to get Big George to help them cover it up. Uh, Big George comes. And the way that they cover it up is that they put him in the barbecue pot. And they cook him up. And <sighs> when the cops from Georgia come to be like, hey, where's Frank? By the way, this is delicious barbecue. They served it. They sure did. Specifically to the cops. Specifically to the cops. Like, there's like a montage of this guy chowing down on this barbecue to like really let you know. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. baby back ribs. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, no. So it's not till like 25 years later that, that Iggy and Big George get arrested for this. Yeah. Uh, that, this timeline is, is really wacky. The movie does not presume to take this much time. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing, so the trial in the book happens before we know what happens, before we know what actually happens. Oh, okay. So Iggy's on trial oh, and we're like, okay. I don't know, maybe it was Iggy. I don't know yet. Sure, sure. Uh, and mm-hmm. the way she gets out of it, so she and Big George are on trial, and the way she gets out of it is the preacher who she has been tormenting her whole life calls and is like, I have information. And she's like, well, now I'm toast because he, mm-hmm. we hate each other and he's not going to help me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But what he does is he comes in and he was like, nope, I was looking in my Bible and we had a tent revival that weekend and Sister Threadgood never misses a service. She's the lead singer in the choir. She was there the whole time. And I have all of these witnesses who can attest to it. And he brings in all of the um, hobos that she's been serving in her cafe who are all devoted to her, who've all gotten like fresh Mm -hmm. haircuts and are like, nope, she was there. She was there. She was absolutely there. And they all have names like Chattanooga Red Barker and Smokey Lonesome. And Smokey Lonesome. Smokey Lonesome's the main one. I mean, that's my that's my uh, my nom de plume. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for my my mystery novels. Oh, a plume that I of smoke. I get it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they all come in and they give her an alibi, and so she and Big George both both get off. Uh, nice. Uh, and that's that's the the murder mystery. So it was Sipsy and Gee whiz. That's cool. It is yeah. pretty cool. That's that's a good that's a good thread. I don't know how cool it is actually to to barbecue a man and to serve. <laughs> Listen, to he was a bad guy. A bad he guy. was a bad guy, but like, are we saying let the punishment fit the crime? Like, you you're a bad enough guy, you deserve to be cooked and no, served. To I cops. don't know. They had they they just had to dispose of some evidence. <laughs> they did. They did. I just they didn't kill him with the express purpose of even killing him. Right? It was just like stop it with that baby. I don't know. Maybe she wanted to really kill him. I'm not Sipsy. She really. I just to am not. The baby. Having yeah. having not read the book or or seen the movie, I'm just not sure how you get from I accidentally killed a man to I am. Well, that's a lot of meat to let go to waste. <laughs> like it's. Mm. <laughs> I was. De- it was definitely a, for the vibe of the movie. I was very surprised when all yeah. of a sudden a man had gotten eaten. <laughs> <laughs> wow, because that is that is some I was, dark yeah. stuff. The book, so that's interesting. So the book is macabre in a way that it wasn't actually a huge shock to me. Like Ninny very oh, offhandedly, okay. Ninny very offhandedly at one point tells this story about this lady who went through early menopause because she keeps telling Evelyn that's your problem. You're going through menopause. Yeah, yeah. And uh, chopped her mom's <laughs> head off and threw it on the court steps and was like, "That's what you're looking for." Like just off the Whoa. cuff, tells that story early in the book. So the book has a lot of these really like sort of off kilter moments um, All right. that also sort of help to puncture this like twinkly golden wasn't the South a wonderful place to be. Yeah, um, yeah sure. Yeah, the yeah, vibe yeah. Uh, that helps with the vibe quite a bit. All I, all I had absorbed of the vibe was the twinkly friendship part. Yeah. And I did not I did not have an inkling about the cook pot part. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean, as you can tell from the way I have hopped around, it's a tough book to talk about because the timeline hops around, the people hop around, the methods of delivery hop around. 
There's like tone hops the around. The tone hops <laughs> yeah. around. It does. But then it's also, you know, it's really funny in places. There, the Sun wins a science fair with a project called the Lima Bean. What is it? Yeah. <laughs> Which I love. Yes. Dot tells us at one point That's that really the good. um the Bible group is is having a session and I'm not gonna get it exactly right, but it's like Noah and the Ark, and if he could have gotten rid of all the snakes, why didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of that stuff peppered in too that yeah, it just it keeps you on your toes in a really in a fun way. Yeah, for sure. And in a way that I wasn't because mm-hmm. I too was expecting like a Oh, friendship is wonderful and the South is great. And it's not not that, you know, at its core, it is about this. Also other things. But it is also the lima bean. What is it? Mm -hmm. Listening, reading quotes. uh, This can maybe take us out on kind of just our general reactions to what we've heard here today. Um, (laughs) Just like reading some of her quotes about like the the community she wanted to capture and stuff like that. Um, It is this like. There, you know, there's a lot of stories about the South and what people are like down there. And I knew people that aren't reflected in those stories exactly how I remember them. And I wanted to pick a community that does take care of each other and has these types of relationships in it. And yes, there were awful, violent racists there. And we tried our, some of us tried our best to take care of them too. Like it's, it isn't. I don't know. She she's standing up for the the town in which she was raised is sort of the sounds like the her project here. I like the I like your word for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. That is that is how it feels. Yeah, that this okay. is a town that that looks out for each other, and that you know is good and bad. What it does sometimes mean is like our KKK is not as bad as their KKK. Which is there, not great. There is that part. That's weird. Is that in I the movie? I don't like that part. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, it's I don't weird. Like it. So that's what I was trying to get at at the beginning. Is this like, <laughs> oh, but that, I don't think you know that that's it's... not true. You do not under any circumstances have to <laughs> hand it to the KKK. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. <laughs> so, so there is that to contend with. Because the ultimate project is, yeah, what if, what if we took care of each other? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, for for good or for ill. Andrew, what? I don't know if there's anything else in your research about differences between the book and the film. I just want to share one thing to take us out. I don't. Yeah, I don't really have a lot of specifics, and okay. I'm still kind of reeling from the boy BQ that they <laughs> before. So, <laughs> why don't you just say your thing? the end of the movie? Mm-hmm. Spoilers for the movie: Fried Green Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. It is heavily implied through the winks and nods and impish grin of Jessica Tandy that Ninny is, in fact, itchy. No! <laughs> what? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No! Yeah. Oh, that's where I paused Evelyn's story because I wanted to tell you how nice the end of the book is. That's not possible. If they're the same person. <laughs> no. It's never like they talk about her as if she's a different person. But Kathy Bates, like at that point, if you're watching the movie, you know, and it takes a while for Kathy Bates as Evelyn to catch up. And then mm-hmm. she goes, oh, mm-hmm. ah. 
And I'm really excited <laughs> to watch this movie, and I'm also like pretty mad at it because it sounds like all the stuff I like best <laughs> is the stuff that they were like, we don't need that though. So no, in the or yeah. the stuff that you remember from Steel Magnolia. Exactly. <laughs> They cut out Shirley MacLaine. No, um, mm. <laughs> no. In the book, uh, uh, Evelyn goes to Whistle Stop and she goes to visit M- Ninny's grave because Ninny is not Iggy. She's Ninny who's buried in the ground. <laughs> These names are very like itchy and scratchy to me. It's it's distracting. And she leaves flowers and she's like talking to her friend, and then she turns around and sees a card on Ruth's grave because Ruth died uh-huh. in the yeah. '49. Uh, mm-hmm. that wasn't there before. And she picks it up and she reads it and it's it's a love letter from the bee charmer. So it's from Iggy, who's like, yeah. here somewhere. This all happens in the book. I'm so confused! <laughs> well, anyway, yeah, it, me too. In the, the book ends with Iggy in Florida somewhere um, running a roadside <laughs> cart, running a roadside stand with her brother and like a family comes up and she's just super itchy. She's like, oh, yeah, I took a, I, I went fishing and I, I caught this really heavy fish, but it was too heavy to get out of the river. So I took a picture of it. But I can't show you the picture because the picture's 20 pounds. And you're my millionth customer, That's so funny. here's this free honey. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's like Iggy's out there in the world yeah. being Iggy, not being Ninny. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, I love it. I can't, I need you to watch even just the YouTube of the end of this movie. Apparently. Like, <laughs> Megan, thank you for sharing this book with us and your experience. Yeah, I've, sure. <laughs> I could talk about this book for like three more hours. There's so much more. But yeah. I won't I won't force that upon you or the listeners. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you would be forcing, but... We I mean, they can they can turn their podcast app off whenever they want. That's, true. That's also true. That's true. Contrary <laughs> to popular belief. But yeah. it was great having you on. Thanks yeah, for being thanks here. Thanks for having me. Andrew, thanks for learning about uh, Boy Bacuse this week. I was, I mean, I can't forget it now. So we're all just in it together. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Yeah. If anyone at home has any great barbecue recipes that they'd like to share, they can send them to overduepod at gmail.com. Um, uh, we just make sure that they're like, you know, within the bounds of the law. <laughs> um, hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Send, send us your legal barbecue <laughs> recipes, please. Uh, Facebook and Twitter at Overdue Pod. Uh, our theme song was composed by Nick Larandis. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. We have links up there to the books that we have read and the ones that we are going to read. Uh, you can also go to patreon.com slash overduepod to support the show, get in our Discord server, uh, get bonus episodes early, sit in on streams that we record when Craig is not on paternity leave yeah. with the child. Uh, other other stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Um do you, Craig, have to hand the schedule that we drew up? So yeah, that you I know, know what, what book should be next week if all okay. goes according to plan. Mm-hmm. Ramona Quimby, age eight. Nice. By Beverly Cleary. It's a good one. Yeah. So tune into that. It'll mm-hmm. be a different discussion than this one. <laughs> yeah, because there's no scene where like Abizus and Ramona grill Wait, up a kid from school book, they though. don't like. They do cook, but it's not like a boy that they don't like or something. <laughs> That's like, a later book. That's a yeah. later one. That's Ramona Quimby, age yeah. nine. They cook yard age in that book. Yeah. <laughs> All 
All right, Andrew, to get us out of here. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Thank you again to Megan for showing up, for uh, wading through all of our unanswered emails and many other things that she does for us. And until we talk to you next time, please try to be happy. was a headgum podcast.